let me invite you to turn with me to Luke. We're not in Acts this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 11, for this account that's a wonderful one from the life of Jesus Christ. Let me pray as you're turning there now. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance even to be together this morning. And man, coming out of a fantastic week of celebrating with friends and family and people we love and care about, just your, your faithfulness in our life, God. I pray that even coming out of this time in the Word, that we would be more grateful people, better at expressing it. And as we're going to see from the text this morning, uh, that that's the, the completion of gratitude is when it's actually expressed. So stretch us, grow us, make us more into your likeness, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So this story, very interesting one to me, it obviously ties in really well to the whole theme of air of gratitude or stirring the air with our gratitude. And it starts in verse 11, says this, and we'll break it down a little bit. On the way to Jerusalem, it's talking about Jesus, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. A little background here. This is an account of Jesus' life and, and kind of the timeline, if you will. This is where he's literally getting closer and closer to the end of his life uh, here on earth. He's heading to Jerusalem with li- the foreknowledge, knowing that he's going there to die. And the first thing that I notice or acknowledge from the text here is the fact that he's willing to acknowledge and see people around him, to see the needs that he's surrounded with. And we're introduced to 10 lepers, and we don't know much about them other than the fact that they had leprosy. Nice, you guys are piecing this together. And uh, so leprosy, if you're familiar, if you've been around church world, you've probably heard some explanations about leprosy. I was reading a little bit just in research this week about that. Present day, leprosy is known as Hansen disease today. It's, uh, thankfully, they found a cure for it. But at that point in time, it was literally, if you contracted leprosy, it was a death sentence. There wasn't a cure for it. There wasn't a solve for it. In fact, Jewish historian Josephus said lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. See, this miserable disease, this is how it worked in the human body, is that literally you started to develop ulcers, All this is kind of gross, sorry, ulcers all over your body, and as those broke free, as those broke, you literally had a stench about you like none other. And over time, you gradually started losing more and more feeling in your body. A lot of times we complain when we, uh, if you're like me, as you get older, you're like, oh man, I have all these aches and pains. Well, aches and pains actually protect us. It's a, a good thing. When you're absent of those, that leaves you very vulnerable. And so the injuries that would come for someone with leprosy as they lost feeling were unbelievably damaging. And even as the body starts breaking down, you've maybe heard this before, they literally lose fingers. And even as the disease progressed, even hands and feet, the most miserable possible way to die an inch at a time. I was reading that the average lifespan for someone with leprosy in that day and age, it took about nine years on average for somebody to die of leprosy. Think about that. Literally, as your body's breaking down, just counting down the days until literally it ultimately moves to mental decay and then ultimately coma and then death, that was literally what these men are dealing with. 
And if that's not bad enough, if that just the knowledge of the, having that disease wasn't bad enough, a leper was also pushed completely outside of society. By law, they were required to live outside of the towns or the normal places where people lived, and they were moved out because why? Because it was extremely contagious. So you imagine you contract a disease and everyone you know and love and have a relationship with, or you're literally pushed away. So the, the lonely factor or the experience that someone with leprosy have, I can't imagine that. All the people that you know and love, you're pushed away from. So these people, and if that's not bad enough, listen to the third aspect. In that day and time, religious leaders believed they attached sin to disease. So it was assumed if you have that degree of, of disease, you must be especially cursed by God and living in some type of sin. So you're ostracized, you're seen as some extreme sinner, you're on a, a road towards a, a miserable death, and that's where these three lepers are coming. You see what happened as they're pushed out of society, they would form leper colonies, and that helps make some sense out of why there's 10 of them calling out to Jesus. And what does it say in the text that they're asking for? They're pleading, please give us mercy. I imagine there was never a more authentic plea for mercy in Scripture as they're pleading desperately, man, if there's anything that you can do to get us out of this situation. Let's take a look and see how Jesus responds in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... What does it say? They were cleansed. Go and show yourself to the priest. Good news, Jesus delights in showing mercy to those who ask for it. That's a wonderful thing to, to tuck away and have that knowledge and understanding of how, how things work. Is God loves to respond to our cries for mercy. He, he, he's, he's so at the, at the beck and call, if you will, of our pleas for mercy. He's like, oh, yes, man, I love to pour out mercy on, uh, on my people. And if that's a, a, a thing to tuck away of knowledge, an important thing to store away for ourselves, that there's nothing that we can do that can get us outside of God's mercy where a cry out to him won't cause a response. So he responds and he tells them something interesting to do. What does it say in the text that he tells them to do? So it tells them to go see who? A priest. Is he telling them to go to like a Catholic synagogue? What's he, what's he, what's he saying to do to, to go see a priest? You see how it worked is literally in order to be reacclimated into society, you would have to have the stamp of approval of a priest to say, you're clean again. You're clean again. So they're, they're asking, he's asking them to go as if they had been healed to the priest before they had been healed. Are you tracking with me? Do you, do you see the kind of faith that that requires as you're, as you're marching down the dirt road to, the, to visit the priest, to tell him that you're clean now? You're like, yeah, but I still have this disease. You see, he, he's, he's calling them to an action step of faith. And based on that faith, then he does the miraculous. You see what he says happens there. And I, I imagine these guys in that conversation are just like, we're going to look really dumb if we show up at this priest's door and we're still looking the way we are. But instead, they move forward, they act in obedience, and God literally, we see this, that he cleanses them. If it's the same basis on the way he's done other healings, it's immediate 
restoration of all that was lost. Can you imagine seeing your, your, your nine buddies, you're walking along and you start seeing all of a sudden like fingers coming back on, like uh, restored, literally lose ears, like things coming back that were gone and being completely restored. The smell gone, the, the, the fear of, of ultimate death gone, all of that in an instant because God chose to intervene in their situation. Can you imagine what kind of excitement that would have? Can you imagine the gratitude that you would build up? I get excited when I'm like over a cold. Can you imagine these guys are, are like, are you kidding me? A complete 180 degree turn. Look how they respond. You'd imagine it'd be a celebration. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Most shocking words in this story are those simple words, then one of them. Then one of them. Are you kidding me? Only one? Is a, does that mean only one was grateful? I don't know. The interpretation by voting here. Do you think all of them were probably vo- grateful? I'm thinking each one of them, like in some degree, was just like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't, I can't imagine how excited and grateful you'd be. But we learn a little something in this text about gratefulness. Gratefulness comes full circle when it's verbally expressed. It comes full circle when it's verbally expressed. If you're just keeping it to yourself and you're like, oh, I'm so grateful, uh, and, and, but never actually expressing it, it seems like that's missing the mark, doesn't it? Do you see the, the shock when Jesus responds to it? He's like, I love it. He's kind of playing like he doesn't, he's not very good in math. He's like, man, according to my math, wasn't there 10? And he's counting out on his fingers. But wait a second, now I see one. Where's the other nine? You know, you know, like he's, there, there's like confusion there. Like what, what happened here? Because the expectation is for us in response to all that God has done for us to express it to him. Not to be like, yeah, that's just thinking it, but literally verbally expressing it. It literally is a shock to God when we don't. It's literally a, a shock. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what happened here when we don't acknowledge the giver of the good gift? We can peruse right past that and be like blazing the trail and going back. You imagine those guys were just excited to get back to, to normal life, go to the priest, get the clear bill of health, back to seeing family and friends and forgetting to go to the source of the gift. I was reading this story this week of a man that got lost in the woods, a hiker actually on a, on a trail, and it's easy to do if any of you have done any hiking, you make a wrong turn, head the wrong direction. Well, it describes that as it was starting to get uh, dark and uh, the, the day was winding down and every turn didn't get him back to where he was thinking he was trying to go, panic started to set in. Anybody ever been lost on a trail before? Uh, nobody, that's great. No, no, no risk takers in the room, that's wonderful. Uh, so he's, he's on this trail, he's starting to get lost, And it says, in that moment of panic, he pleads for mercy from God. Please help me find my way out of here. This would not go well if I end up having to spend the night here, described in this article. 
And someone later asked him if God actually answered the prayer. The man said, oh no, before God had a chance to answer the prayer, a guide came out and showed me how to get back to the main trail. You see, it's so easy for us to not acknowledge the source of our blessing. For us to just get immersed in like, oh, this is so great, God, this is is so awesome that this has happened, and never go back and say, God, thank you. You're the giver. You're the source of the gift. Here in this story and here this morning, we have the opportunity to not be like the nine lepers that don't go back and say thanks. For us, man, Thanksgiving is is literally the opportunity once a year, it's fun tradition that was started even before I got here, for us to take a moment and say thanks. And we thought this morning that we'd kind of direct that. Instead of thankful for things, I'm thankful for the roof over my head and the food that I eat and all of those things, we thought we'd spend a little bit of time directing thanks to people. Anybody here get a little bit weird sometimes when somebody says thank you or praises you for something or a great job on this? And I was talking to my uh, friend Joe, who's a pastor. I'm like, well, how do you deal with that? Just uh, if somebody gives you th- thanks uh, for something that you've done or something that, that you're good at, a good sermon or whatever. And I thought it was interesting. It stuck with me. He said, you know what? I think it's fine to accept honor, but it's important to redirect glory. Accept honor redirect glory. Do you follow what I'm saying? The honor, it's fine to honor as brothers and sisters. We should honor each other and cheer each other on, but glory goes alone to God. And so when someone, and you think about this even in your week, just this is a little practical takeaway. As somebody says something kind about you, something you're good at, great job with that. Hey, well, thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Praise God for that ability he gave me. Do you see the difference there? You're accepting the honor, but redirecting the glory. God, thank you so much for your word and this picture in the text. And man, there's so much more. I was itching to teach from that story, but excited to see just how when we get it right, it can be such a beautiful thing in our our lives. When we get the verbally expressing our gratitude heading in the right direction, man, it literally changes the air around us. We praise you, God, for being worthy of any of this praise, God. You're worthy of all of it. We celebrate that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.